morning, and welcome to episode 368 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballProspectus.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. How are you, Ben? I am well, thank you. All right. Um, so far as I can tell, nothing happened today in baseball. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I have a few different topics. Okay. Like three-ish, sure. sort of. Uh, none of them particularly, well, I don't know. One is sorry. One is arguably timely. One is exceptionally untimely, and the other is uh, is basically just a joke email. So <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'll start with the untimely one, um, and because uh, quick, um, Grant Brisby wrote a piece today uh, looking for uh, baseball's five most hated players. Did you see this? Nope. Uh, not players, but uh, five most hated people. I had not seen that yet. And he ultimately concludes that there is no fifth, that you that the, there are four on, on Rushmore, and, and any attempt to add a fifth would simply uh, you know, be a disservice to the others. It would just dilute them. Nobody, nobody can, can, can contend uh, with, with the top four. Hmm. And so his top four, do you, just out of curiosity, do, do you want to go ahead and guess the top <clears throat> four? Uh... Don't, spend much, don't spend much time on it. I don't want to hear you thinking. <laughs> Loria? Yeah. Boris? Yeah. Well, does it does it count like players who have gotten in trouble for things, like Josh Lukey or someone? Uh, does not count Josh Lukey. Uh, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it would count him, but he's not on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Seelig. Yeah, and last one player, obvious one, number one with a bullet. There's really no question about it. Uh, current pl- oh A Rod. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Okay. So, um, and that's, I, I think he's right. I don't think there is a good fifth one. Uh, or at least, uh, I don't think there's a fifth one who can reasonably compete with those four uh, mm-hmm. and is, is currently, uh, you know, engaged in the game. Anyway, um, but I was curious just to know, uh, I wanted to know who your fifth would be uh, mm-hmm. if you if you had to have a fifth one and, and how close we can come. So, uh, so I have... Uh, I have a, I have a few. They're all imperfect for various reasons, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm willing to share my, my few with you, and then maybe one will have jumped out at you. Okay. So, uh, so the 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 obvious the obvious one the only per, the only person who could really unseat a Rod at the top would be Barry Bonds, um, and Barry Bonds is less beloved than a Rod. This was actually least beloved, least beloved. Not mm-hmm. most hated, mm-hmm. uh, and Barry Bonds is less beloved than A Rod, but obviously is not currently active in the game in any mm-hmm. specific way. Um, so for that reason, he you know he he loses a lot of value. But I think I think he actually still qualifies uh, by nature of his sort of starring role in the Hall of Fame vote every year. As long as he's on the ballot, and this is a debate that we have every year, mm-hmm. I'm considering him still part of the game. Yeah, that seems reasonable. So A Rod is my. I mean, uh, Barry Bonds would be would be one. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe West would be <laughs> is is the one that I suggested to Grant. Uh-huh. Uh, and Joe West uh, doesn't quite have the name recognition of any of those guys. No, not quite. Um, and somebody somebody responded, and I think reasonably that. You could make the case that if you're going with an umpire, Angel, Angel Hernandez, Angel Hernandez, yeah, is is less beloved. But you know, Joe West, I I I, I think 
I would go with Joe West because he's sort of more famous, more vocal, you know, more of an institution, more, I mean, Angel, look, let's, let's be honest, Angel Hernandez is not going to be an umpire in two years, you know, he's, he's not long for this job, I don't, I, I personally suspect, um, and it doesn't really matter, he's just a, 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 a horribly blind shit passing in the night, um, whereas Joe West is, you know, an institution, he might make the Hall of Fame, for Pete's sake, mm-hmm. uh, so, but the point that this person brought up, I think, is legit, um, which is that there is not really one central umpire with which we focus all of our seething hatred. Uh, I feel like you could also make a case for uh, for Bob Davidson, for instance. Bob Davidson, I actually like less than the other two. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so, I don't know that an umpire, uh, I just don't, umpires, uh, there are, you know, uh, I don't know, 90 of them or something, and they're all villains. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> pretty much like 82 of them are villains. So they cancel out each other. They split the vote, basically. Mm-hmm. This is this is a, a classic split the vote moment. Yeah. Uh, so, but that that's one. Um, and uh, Frank McCourt, not part of the game, <laughs> uh-huh. but still making, as I understand it, tons of money on the parts of the Dodgers operation that he owns, the parking uh-huh. lots or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and not, not, you know, has not been gone from an official capacity for very long and really is like the, the sort of villainous owner to end all villainous owners. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the closest thing we'll ever have to the, uh, major, major league. league. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and just, a you know, really went out, uh, on top, which is to say on bottom. Uh, so Frank McCourt still has uh, some some lack of belovedness, but I think he loses too much for being not uh, not in an official capacity right now. Uh, Murray Chass has really mm. been making great strides. <laughs> Strong choice. <laughs> because Murray Chass was Murray Chass really tipped this year. He he was the the guy that bloggers hated and you know that hated bloggers and would get involved in these little spitball wars. But this year, the BBWAA really turned on him. Like yeah. there were, there were like like ranking members from like big organizations that were like, like Tyler Kepner said mm. something like he would never speak ill of a BBWAA member except Murray Chass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so uh, there isn't a writer, there isn't a media person in there. Chass, the problem is that Chass is ne- was probably never power, you know, popular enough, famous enough. To, to sit alongside a rod um, even in his prime and now now he runs a blog mm-hmm. uh, as a blogger um, so yeah. probably not chess but but if there very were like, if there were like a baseball specific skip Bayless someone who like yeah did, the, did yeah did just hot takes and just did only baseball yeah uh, but I don't know that there really is anyone who fits that description exactly the, the other thing is that chess has had like a, a couple of sort of even non non blog war scandal uh, uh, scandals is the wrong word but uh, <laughs> controversies over the last couple of years with you know his Marvin Miller stuff and yeah uh, so yeah not beloved but pro- I mean you know probably probably a nice guy um, I don't know uh, doesn't doesn't qualify mm-hmm. I would say and so anyway finally I get to my pick who is uh, s- still an active player. Still fairly famous, still employed, fairly famous, not nearly A-Rod famous, but yeah, semi-famous, still employed, and uh, unbeloved for many reasons, covering any type of person who would uh, would not be loved 
a person, and that is Delman Young. <laughs> um, hmm. Okay, it's a it's a it's a less it's a lower grade of uh, of non belovedness. I think. I've, yeah, it's, but it's 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 niche unbelovedness. This is this is a, I mean, this is like he's not Radiohead, but maybe he's Spoon. You know, <laughs> a big deal. I like Spoon. I do too. I like Radiohead. I'm saying he's the Spoon <laughs> of being unbelovedness. Is uh-huh. what I'm saying. Oh, like he okay. doesn't he doesn't headline Coachella, uh-huh. but he's the second row of Coachella. Uh huh. So this is uh, is it because he's been a few places and played poorly and so he has that going for him also as well I'd as say it's, a, it's a few things uh-huh. he's well he's an anti-semite uh, he's, is he's one has thing that incident yes uh he threw a bat at a man mm-hmm. uh is a thing he's uh he's large and i find i, I find that there's a, a it's uh baseball players are not like uh mall santas they they do not get more beloved the fatter they get there's a i think there's a bias against fat ball players um and uh not, I, not one that i have but i think, I think we're, we're quicker to turn on fat ball players we but, do because if, we but if they're good to, uh oh a beloved fat yeah fat like tony gwynn for instance yeah yeah nobody holds that against him but uh there is a feeling that you're you had one job right if you're a professional athlete right to not and <laughs> Yeah. And that, that one job was to perform athletics. Uh-huh. Um, and so, yeah. And then he also plays a particularly inelegant form of baseball in this, um, you know, modern, modern way of playing. He doesn't, he, he's, he's, he's in many ways, he's Jeff Francoeur with a lot more hype. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also, you know, he, he's, he, he moves around the league and any team that signs him has to deal with the, uh, 45 minutes of mockery that follows. So there's just a lot of things going against Delman Young. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's probably he, he probably shouldn't be on Rushmore, but but if you want to go to five, then that's a strong choice. Mm-hmm. All right, you got one to add, or just want to listen? Uh, well, on on Twitter, I feel like Lukey qualifies. Yeah, he does. I don't know that I mean, people who just show up at the ballpark know his backstory or know who he is at all um so that probably keeps him off of off of the list but if you if you know him and you know his story then it seems like generally the the level of vitriol is on par with the people who are on that list yeah uh josh lukey not not well known enough i mean uh, unwell known enough that i feel like a lot of people are going who right now uh so but i don't also know how to describe josh lukey in two sentences without we have we have pretty savvy listeners okay josh lukey relief pitcher uh bad bad business Mm. look it up look it up uh yeah but you know lukey yeah lukey's not a bad one for that reason uh any others Mm, nope no owners, no GMs, no GMs mainly. There's not. Uh, you know, I don't know. know. I, maybe Dayton Moore might have made that list a year ago, but oh. I think he's he salvaged his reputation somewhat, both both by winning last year, which uh, made some people like him more. Other people didn't like him more because of the the trade that led to that winning. Um, but he's also sort of 
had a good winter. <laughs> he hasn't really done anything to upset anyone this winter. Um, so I don't think he's quite there. And I don't know who else would be there. I, I don't. I can't think of a manager or a GM or an owner that's really in that class. Yeah, I can't either. I can't either. You have to have a lot of power to get on this list, really. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, like C-League is almost an automatic, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't have a big problem with C-League the way he does his job. I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I beloved him, but <laughs> no. I don't really have any serious issues with C-League at this point. But when you get that much power, you're, you're, you're a gimme. You're an automatic. Yeah, and you have that sort of tenure. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so that's one topic. Second topic, uh, I don't know if you read this about, I don't know, four or five days ago, uh, but Ben Badler wrote a piece about uh, Tanaka and uh, in relation to Daisuke Matsuzaka and whether it's sort of, uh, I, I don't know if, it, if it's exactly this, but basically whether it's kind of an appropriate comp uh, uh-huh. for Tanaka. And, and his point was that people use Matsuzaka as a warning because Matsuzaka was such a disappointment and was so hyped, uh, but that, in fact, Matsuzaka uh, was quite good when he arrived, had two extremely good years. Uh, quick quick pause to point, a, uh, point out a fun fact that is sort of amazing and awesome, and I love it. Uh, according to Baseball Reference, in his first two years, Matsuzaka picked up 9.4 war. You, mm-hmm. Darvish, in his first two years, 9.9. <laughs> Great, great fun fact, isn't that? Yeah, that is a good one. Uh, and uh, and you know, points out that a bunch of uh, Matsuzaka's contemporaries, American contemporaries, non-Japanese contemporaries, also flamed out horribly after those two years. Uh, and finally, pointed out that a bunch of Japanese pitchers have done great, and that if you're going to draw anything, uh, you might say that the comps are quite favorable to mm-hmm. uh, Tanaka. Not not my point. Not not what I want to talk about. Mm-hmm. I I um, am always uncertain about whether it is relevant uh, that Tanaka is Japanese mm-hmm. when you start thinking about these comps. It I have mocked in the past the tendency to only force Japanese comps on Japanese players, mm-hmm. um, and it feels silly and wrong, maybe offensive. Not mm-hmm. sure, uh, and yet. I also can't shake the feeling that there there's probably various reasons why it would be legitimate, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to get a sense from you uh, how legitimate you think it is, and um, particularly because I recall you writing about the Japanese players who have come here as a sort of a cohort and mm-hmm. uh, what we can kind of learn. So what yeah. are your thoughts about Japan uh, uh, Japanese on Japanese comps? I wrote something, yeah, about scouting Japanese players, and it basically boiled down to the fact that, that relievers are seem to be pretty reliable commodity just because they're the ones whose role or whose, whose job changes the least when they come over. Um, you know, you have, you have infielders playing on different playing surfaces. You have starting pitchers who are on different work schedules. They're, they're, they're starting on a completely different schedule, um, whereas relievers are still just kind of coming out of the bullpen. And so generally they've been fairly reliable. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I think, 
it makes sense to look at what other Japanese pitchers have have done as a way of assessing the the quality of competition that they are coming from and that they they posted their statistics against in Japan. Um, the fact that a lot of them have you know pauses in their delivery or something is is kind of a a, a cosmetic thing, and I don't and that probably leads to a lot of the the comps. I think the fact that there's sort of a a Japanese pitching motion and to an extent also a, a Japanese batting approach or batting stance um, that makes it very easy to come up with those comps. Uh, Tanaka doesn't really seem to to have that so much, but I I don't know. I mean, you for every it I guess it does seem that there's. The, I, the the perception is that there's like a, a nibbling that happens, right? That's how sure. I th- that's how I hear it used yeah. most often. That these guys, you know, have really good stuff by NPB standards, and then they come over here, and the hitters are better and stronger. And even if like if they were if they were control pitchers in Japan, that might not necessarily translate because once they get over here, they uh, they might not be getting as far off the off the plate, uh, or they may be afraid to come in and not trust their stuff, or maybe not have stuff that they should trust, and so their walk rate goes up. And I I guess that's something that we've seen with Matsuzaka or with with Darvish. Um, so I think it's it's valid to an extent. Uh, I, you hear a lot of of Kuroda comps for Tanaka and, and I don't, I, I don't know. I really, I can't really speak to how, how valid that comparison is specifically, but there's, there's something to it probably. Yeah. And they have, I mean, there's going to be a, a, some sort of similarity in kind of uh, pitcher usage up to this point. I mean, mm-hmm. they've, they've all thrown, you know, hundreds of thousands of pitches at this point and um, they've, you know, Japanese pitchers have thrown them at a kind of a, a rhythm, a usage rhythm that is more similar to each other than to, um, you know, non-Japanese pitchers. And they've uh, perhaps have been uh, trained by a philosophy, a pitching philosophy that is more consistent among um, Japanese pitching coaches than here. I, I don't know if that's true, but it seems certainly conceivable. Um, and I think that there are uh, the, the one thing that really makes it uh, 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 justifiable in my mind is that what what we know about Japanese baseball is that it's like it's roughly AAA level, like in between AAA and big leagues, right? Yes, yeah. it's like a little little bit better than AAA, a little bit worse than the majors. Mm-hmm. And so at, at that point, you're really talking. I think I think the value and evaluation has really shifted from. Um, sort of traditional scouting to, to statistics. That's close enough that the statistics should be able to tell you the the player's story really well. But um, it's not really, um, it's not the same style of play. So you can't just simply translate it and say, well, it's, it's this times, you know, 108% and that gets you to the majors or whatever. Um, because it's, it really is, it's a different style of play. It's a different style of hitter. It's a different approach that hitters take. Dan Brooks, um, the other day was looking at some 
kind of really specific thing. I forget what it was. And he found this kind of weird cluster of hitters um, behaving differently than uh, in like the NL Central or pitchers behaving differently in the NL Central in a specific situation than the other divisions in baseball. And it was probably just kind of like a, a fluky thing, a, a fluky uh, congregation of, of these sorts of pitchers or something like that. But he was wondering whether it might actually be this kind of um, emergence of strategy based on these players, uh, these teams facing each other 20 times a year, whether seeing the same opponents over and over might actually create this, like, I don't know, chain of events where the, the, the style of play actually changes mm-hmm. and the approach that teams take changes and maybe they react to each other's changes in approach and that leads to new changes in approach. And so in subtle ways, the game actually becomes different. And, and in all, it, based on what we hear, uh, that's more or less kind of true in Japan where like the approach really is quite noticeably different. And so you have to figure out a way to tease out uh, the performance some way. You can't simply just do the, the blunt um, uh, adjustment like you would from AA to AAA. You really have to think about like what is specific about the environment they're pitching in, what is specific about the opponents they're facing. Um, and for that reason, I, I would think that there, uh, that wouldn't necessarily be comps, though. Uh, well, it might be if the approach to those hitters changes, uh, you know, across the league, then it would be a comp. You might expect pitchers who have spent six years of their lives or, or more learning to pitch a very specific kind of way. And you're going to have to kind of deal with that one way or the other. Mm-hmm. There are people who will say the same thing about AAA players, though, right? That you can't just apply the translation that certain the the idea of the the quadruple A player, I guess, basically that that there are certain guys who can just mash at triple A when they can feast on guys with weak stuff, and then it, you you can't just apply some factor to their numbers because once they get to the majors, whatever they're doing just doesn't work anymore. Um, there there maybe are some people who fit that description, some players. Yes, yes, there are. So, so, uh, but I guess it's it's more different in NPB than in AAA. So it would be valid to do that for more players. Yeah, I don't know. You're probably I would I kind of probably feel like you're there might be value in it, but you're more likely to just you're you're much more likely to oversimplify things and overgeneralize and come up with false positives than you are to actually get any useful information. So mm-hmm. I guess I would say that even though there's probably, uh, there's probably some, uh, something that could be gleaned from Japanese to Japanese comps, uh, if you were extremely cautious of it, uh, we're not really, and mm-hmm. we're almost certainly going to just lead ourselves into dumbness. That's, you, that would probably be my conclusion. Do you buy the, the Matsuzaka was good for a while argument? Cause I, I mean, well, he was good for a while. I kind of. That's not really an argument. That's a description. Um. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I. I mean, his first his first two seasons were both like over four FIP years. Um, uh. Yeah, but I mean, in yeah, in in Boston in a hitter's era. I mean, over four FIP. Yeah. True. True. In Boston in two thousand seven probably isn't that bad but 
I re- I remember him being really good his first year and not as good his second year. That's how I remember it. Mm-hmm. But I do remember him being really good his first year. Maybe maybe he wasn't. Yeah, he was. For, I mean, he's that was before he started walking everyone. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Well, yeah. So I I don't know. I uh, we I'm sure we'll talk about Tanaka again later this week uh, when we find out where he's going. Um, but man, I keep when I read the reports and read the the reported amounts that it's going to take to to get him. Uh, if I mean any team that makes a comp from him to Matsuzaka would not want to pay this price. It's a, I mean, if if Nick Cafardo said it would take like six one twenty in his his column this weekend. And that's not including the posting fee. So if you if you add the posting fee onto that, which is not completely accurate, but if you do that and call it six one forty, that's like that's over twenty three million dollars. That's uh, I mean that's CC Sabathia money. That's top ten pitcher in baseball money, um, which is which is a lot. You would. You would have to be quite confident that his his stuff will translate, and a lot of people say it will. I, I know, listening to the most recent Fringe Average episode, Jason and Mike seem to think that he's more of a, a mid rotation guy, like a number three. Um, and if if that is what he is, if he's more of a number three than an ace or a two, uh, then that's that's a lot to pay for him. I mean, it's it's. There are no, there's really no such thing as a as a domestic 25 year old free agent who has been good, uh, or that that kind of pitcher comes along very very rarely. Um, so you can see why you would want to pay a lot. But as we talked about at this point in the winter, there are so many decent options still available that you kind of wonder whether there's an opportunity there to slip in and not exactly get a bargain, but at least, you know, get someone at a, a market rate while everyone is focused on Tanaka? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, don't, I think that the, I, I don't think that the Dice K comp would trouble me to get to your question no. like from four minutes ago. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I mean, I, he, he, I mean, Daisuke's body broke. He like mm-hmm. what we're talking about is mainly whether the performance is going to translate from Japan to the states. Mm-hmm. And Daisuke's, I think Ben's point is really valid. I mean, it it did until his body broke, and then he had arm injuries and hip injuries. And uh, you don't, you know, you don't pick one pitcher who's been injured um, and necessarily conclude that that's the only way it can go. That you look at how all pitchers get injured and you figure you probably shouldn't sign any of them because they all get hurt. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I don't, when I think about Japanese pitchers in particular, their durability doesn't seem to be of any concern. I mean, that, that, that is one thing that in particular does not seem, um, to be a, a negative trend among the Japanese pitchers that have been over here in the last, you know, eight to 10 years. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's true. I'd have to, I'd have to look. I don't know about the injury rates or anything. Uh huh. 
Uh, all right, so I want to ask this one question that is only barely related, barely, barely, barely related okay. to it. But um, this was from our, our email show that we, we didn't get to it. But mm -hmm. Mike asked, let's say there's a player from North Korea who is alleged to have amazing skill, the baseball equivalent of Kim Jong-il's golfing. They put out a tape of a 15-pitch inning where he flashes three 70-to-80-grade pitches. But that is all the footage available. Video experts could confirm that it was not doctored, but those 15 pitches are all you had to go on. What's one, what sort of contract would he get in an open bidding situation? Two, what if part uh, of his, sorry, what if part of this secrecy uh, included his age not being revealed? You'd find out upon signing him, but you'd have to put up a bid prior to any of that knowledge. <laughs> um... Well, very, very, very tenuous connection to the rest of this episode. <laughs> but actually what got me thinking is I, I actually – there is no connection except in my head I was – I thought about this because I thought, well, like if if this happened, would scouts actually be putting, you know, Darvish comps on him? And that seems inappropriate. Like I was thinking about this as I thought about how I feel about the comps, right? Mm -hmm. um, and of course there's no reason to put a Darvish comp on a guy who's from North Korea, and yet, 99% sure you'd see one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, not necessarily from a reputable source, but you'd see it somewhere. Well, uh, this guy would get would get a lot of money, I think. You uh, think so? I 15 think so. pitches from North Korea. I mean, well, 370 to 80-grade pitches? Uh, if, you could, if you could tell that from watching 15 pitches on video... Uh, I mean, who has who has three seventy to eighty grade pitches? Like no one. Um, so I, I mean, <sighs> but you don't know anything about like you don't know. You might not even know when these pitches were pitched. Uh, well, okay. I mean, if 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 you have no idea when the footage comes from, and the guy could be sixty years old, um, <laughs> then probably. I wouldn't pay much for him, but if you if you knew at least that that the footage was recent, even if you didn't know his his age, uh, I think he would get a lot. How much? How much? Just give me a number. That's the question. <sighs> yeah, um, I think he would get. Uh, I think he'd get something like. Uh, I think he'd get fifteen million. A year. Oh wow! Oh, fifteen million a year. Yeah. Uh, for how many years? <clears throat> for four years. I think that that's insane. Too high. Yeah, but mine's not much lower. So I'm <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think he would get four years and thirty million dollars. I feel like thirty million is the upper limit of what clubs don't care about. Like if like I feel like clubs would, would spend thirty million on a gamble, but they would not spend forty million on a gamble. Like there's just something the, the, this number is always moving. It goes up through the years, but I feel like there's always some um some symbolic emotional breaking point where it becomes real money. And right now I feel like baseball's real money is thirty thirty one million dollars. That it's it's all it's all it's all whatevs until thirty, and well, then it starts to get real. So what what's the uh, main source of uncertainty here? There's the fact that he 
has just flashes. He just flashed this like best stuff in baseball. We don't know that he can repeat it. I suppose uh, it could have been could have been his his best day. Uh, we know nothing about his age. We know nothing about his makeup. Um, we know he's never faced a good hitter in his life. True. We don't know anything. I mean, Although, his makeup. I mean, his we makeup, know that his stuff will will play. If that is actually his stuff, then I'm. I mean, I guess I'm kind of concerned about the fact that he hasn't faced good hitters. Well, it's, I'm not but, saying that it, I'm not saying it's a deal breaker, but it's part of the equation. He's never yeah, faced. Sure. He's never faced a. He's never faced a good baseball player, uh-huh. and he he. Uh, I mean, the makeup. He is is much bigger than I would say the makeup for like a Cuban would be because he does not live in the modern world. Like you like, this is he he lives in a world where, like millions of people starve in famine and there's like it's this horrible dystopia it's just nothing nothing comparable to anything he's going to see and couldn't you say that 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 has made him stronger that he'll have better makeup because he has survived that you don't know what it's going to be i'm just saying it's it's an uncertainty i mean you 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 could be looking at something you're probably looking at something maybe looking at something like you know ptsd right when he comes over it's like the, if nothing else, I mean, there would be, uh, I, I mean, you, 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 I don't know. It's it's a weird situation because you wouldn't really, you you would want to have you would almost like you would want to rescue this guy definitely, but without counting on anything from him. Like mm-hmm. if that makes sense, I I wouldn't necessarily want to even put pressure on him to do anything like he's escaping like this insanely bad environment. And I just don't think that you know, you don't know what you're going to get. And you also don't necessarily want to put the same sort of pressure on him that you would put on another kid. Right. I guess that's what I'm saying is that you don't know what, uh, like leverage points you have on him because you're a humane person. (laughs) Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that, uh, it's so rare to find a talent like that. Um, and coupled with the fact that teams seem to have fewer places to put their money on the the player market these days, they, they can't, they can't bid, uh, any amount that they would like to on, on most international players, uh, anymore. They don't have as many attractive options available via free agency. And this guy comes along who flashes better stuff than, than anyone who exists. Uh, I, I don't know. I, what, if, what if you knew his age? Uh, because, because the age part was part two of Mike's question. So what if, what if you know his age and he's, say, under 30? Does that move the needle much for you? No. I don't, I, I, if he were, I could, uh, maybe if he were 17, uh-huh. it might, it might make it better for me, but uh-huh. otherwise, no, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking fairly short term deal. I mean, four years is fairly short term deal anyway. Mm-hmm. And you're, um, you know, you, the stuff is there and mm-hmm. to me, the stuff is just as likely to fall off if he's 21 as mm-hmm. if he's 30, 33, if, if it's there today. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay, well, I guess I will end up with this player because I will outbid you. 
Yeah, and to, when you put it that way, I, I definitely <laughs> now you, do. Now you want him. <laughs> I definitely do. I'm actually there was there was a, a little sadness when you said that. <laughs> yeah, he'll be a sensation for me. Can yeah, you imagine this course, would be this would be the the story of the year? Video experts confirm that it was not doctored. Does not necessarily <laughs> mean that it was not doctored either. Uh, no. But let's. Let's assume for the point, for the, for the spirit of the question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. All right. So that's it. Now we've, well, we've settled that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll know what to pay if, when that player you know, comes along. In like, in a year and a half, we're going to get this exact question and it's going to be prefaced <laughs> with, I know this is going to sound weird, but I know, I know you'll never answer this, but. <laughs> yep. Either that or it will actually happen. Because some of our weird hypotheticals have have come to pass. Could be. Okay, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, please start sending us emails at podcast at baseballprospectus.com.